Folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts celebrating the 20th anniversary of the cinematic masterpiece Josie and the Pussycats, to comfy sweatshirts made for the brave members of the Movies by Yourself Club. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. As a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERSKYTALKERS, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, you can find them at superyaki.com. Let's watch more movies. The tragedy of Obi-Wan Kenobi within the Star Wars series cannot be understated. In this final episode of our summer series, Knowing Kenobi, we talk all about Obi-Wan as the hanged man. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey everyone, I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to, you guessed it, our final episode in the Knowing Kenobi series. And we've made it to the end of the summer series, 2021. I am so happy that we chose to talk about Obi-Wan this summer series, and thank you to everyone who has followed along and listened. It has been really enlightening and just really nice to settle in and just think about Obi-Wan for three straight weeks and record three separate almost two-hour episodes of of him and talking about him, you know, as a precursor almost to the show and just to kind of get into this headspace. It's just been really nice and discovering things that I didn't know about the creation of the character and everything else. So it's been great. Yeah, I'm really glad that we decided to do our summer series this year on Obi-Wan Kenobi. It just made a lot of sense (laughs) with (laughs) with Kenobi coming out relatively soon. But yeah, I think you said it best, like settling into this character a little bit more because we talked about this at the very beginning of the series, but I feel like we're always talking about Obi-Wan Kenobi, but we've never like really spent dedicated uh, like concentrated time on him before like this. So it seems it seems like so obvious on the one hand, but then also like, well, we haven't done it yet. And this is what year five <laughs> we're doing this. So I'm really glad we finally, uh, you know, put pen to paper in a way and got to really dive into him. And I'm super excited for this week uh, to talk all about Obi-Wan as the hanged man, which is our tarot card for this week. And this one, I just... It's so ominous, the the title of it, you know, so I'm really excited to dive into it. I think it might take some people by surprise that we chose this specific card to talk about. And it's also the, probably the most unfamiliar one. Like the other ones, you're like, oh, yeah, I suppose. OK, sure, I suppose. But what this is, is very contextual within tarot. So I'm excited to talk about it. And I also want to talk a little bit about Kara DJ's beautiful artwork that she has done. So this would be her fourth piece. She did one for the series overall, and then subsequently one for each episode. And I hope you have been enjoying them. Those are posted on Twitter, on on Facebook, on Instagram. And uh, 
depending on the player, it should show up as the logo. I know it works on Spotify, but it hasn't been working on Apple. I think that they stopped allowing that, but other players, I think it works. And Kara actually came up with the cool, like super cool idea. I thought this was brilliant of flipping the background instead of Obi-Wan, the person on the artwork. And I think it came out super cool. All of her artwork has been really evocative of the natural world, about the blues, the greens, the the deserty colors that I think that we think of when we think about Obi-Wan and everything just really worked to our vision, but also hers because we did give her a lot of freedom in that regard. And uh, I just am so thankful that we asked her to do this. And she said yes. And I thought this one was particularly cool because of the flipped background. Yeah, we really liked the the symbolism that came with the tarot card, the hanged man. Uh, but in the original tarot card, like how it looks, the the figure, the person is actually upside down. And we were like, how would that how would that look basically on social media? Like, is that, what is that going to look like in actual artwork um, for our purposes with Obi-Wan? And then, yeah, like Charlotte said, Kara was the one who thought to flip the background rather than Obi-Wan himself. And I actually think it works so well for how we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan today. Um, It makes a lot of sense. So if you haven't checked out the fanzine Into a Larger World, you absolutely should. I actually got in uh, this month's fanzine, right before we recorded. So it's the puzzle issues and it's so fun. I'm really excited to go through it. She made like all these Star Wars puzzles, like a crossword puzzle and like uh, scrambled letters, I think. And I haven't gone all the way through it, but I'm really excited to do it. Yeah, I am too. I haven't gotten mine, but I'm really excited. And again, thank you so much for all your kind comments about our Kenobi, the other episodes of the Kenobi series. And it was really cool to see everyone being so excited about the Castaneda uh, reference and talking through that and everything. I think we got some great emails and DMs about that. And it just it's, it's just a joy when you guys respond to what we talk about, because <laughs> sometimes sometimes it's just like Caitlin and I talking and we don't know what's resonating and what's not. So yeah. this is really nice, you know. Do you have a favorite art piece that Kara did? I still think the King of Swords is my favorite, but this one with the flipped background really took me by surprise. I know. I know. I think I I think I love them all. Right. Of course. But I think the King of Swords and the Hanged Man are probably my favorites. I don't know if I could pick just like between them, honestly, because I love them so much. It might be the Hanged Man just because. It was like so surprising, like how it actually turned out. Like it was hard for me to visualize when we were talking mm-hmm. about it with Kara. Uh, so to see it when it was finally finished, it's just it's so cool. Yeah, I didn't want it to look cartoony, and that was my worry when we chose the Hanged Man as the uh, as the tarot card that we were going to do. I was like, uh, I don't know how it's going to work, and I think Kara struck the perfect balance, and it was just great. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Okay, so are you ready to dive into our parts and just get going? I'm ready. Okay, so in part one, we're going to be talking about the Hanged Man tarot card. In part two, we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan's trials and tragedies. And in part three, we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan as spiritual. So without further ado, let's get started. Remember, the Force will be with you always. So welcome to part one, where we're going to be talking about the Hanged Man, which is less of an archetypal figure than our other episodes and more of a tarot card that is loaded with really cool symbolism and things. So let's start off with what the Hanged Man card represents and why we chose it. So the Hanged Man represents wisdom, circumspection, discernment, trials, sacrifice, 
intuition, divination, prophecy. And then the reversed one is selfishness, the crowd, and the body politic. And what's weird about choosing this one, and perhaps that's why we left it for last, is that this was the one that Caitlin and I were kind of stuck between about which one we were going to choose. We were between a different one and this one. And honestly, this one felt like the most... um, like juicy, like it felt like there was a lot going on here, a lot of weirdness and uh, something that kind of got into that part of Obi-Wan that wasn't just the hermit, that wasn't just the teacher, but something else. And I think that when you, when I say those words like wisdom, discernment, trials and sacrifice, I think we can all be like, yes, Obi-Wan checks those boxes, right? The symbolism and kind of the the surface level words that describe this card felt very loaded. And I feel like you're right, you know, something like the King of Swords and the Hermit, it feels very, they feel kind of automatically very representative of Obi-Wan. And this card, in a way, almost felt like uh, it was a good way to analyze Obi-Wan's like overall place in the story as it relates to the Skywalkers. I don't know if I described that well, but and hopefully that'll come through <laughs> in our actual discussion uh, of him. But this card just, it felt, yeah, you're right. It felt like juicy. It felt a little ominous. And I think it gave room for us to talk about, like like we'll talk about in part two and part three, like the trials and tragedies and the spiritualness of Obi-Wan kind of throughout the entire saga. And I think that kind of made it a good ending point for the Knowing Kenobi series of like these two big roles that he had like as Jedi as teacher and mentor and and stuff like that and now to kind of really focus on placing it within the larger story of the Star Wars uh like of the episodic films and and his role as it relates to the Skywalkers but also kind of dig a little bit more into like what it means for him personally as he relates to the Skywalker family yeah absolutely I think that it's impossible to separate Obi-Wan from his entanglement with the Skywalkers. And it's not something I'm super, like, I think that through this series, we've tried to separate that in the best way we possibly can. But the truth is his character is forever entwined. And that's part of the sacrifice. That's part of the tragedy. That's part of who he is, you know? Again, just to include our general disclaimer, when we're talking about the tarot cards, Charlotte and I are not experts in this at all. We really (laughs) do just use it. Our goal was to use it as a jumping off point to kind of pull some of the symbolism from these cards and use it in a way and hopefully what is a entertaining way to talk about a character like Obi-Wan. So uh, this is all just a starting point. If you do want to know more information about where we learned about some of these tarot cards, our sources are on our website. Um, So you can definitely check that out if you want to dive deeper. This is by no means an in-depth discussion about any of the tarot cards we've discussed in this series. No, yeah. Jumping off point is a good it's also it creates a framework for us to discuss the character that is somehow different than the Campbellian way or yeah. you know in Carl Jung or something. Yeah, and if there's something we love on our show, it's it's a little bit of structure. So <laughs> <laughs> this, this gave us like a, another kind of framework structure to to work within. So true. Okay, <laughs> let's talk more about the card. So I'm gonna quote uh, a tarot website. In this card, it depicts a man who is suspended upside down, and he is hanging by his foot from the living world tree. The tree is rooted deep down in the underworld, and it is known to support the heavens. It is believed that the hanging man is actually positioned there by his own free will. 
We believe this is because of this because of the serene expression which is on his face. His right foot is bound to the branches, but his left foot remains perfectly free. At the same time, he is holding his hands behind his back in a way which forms an inverted triangle. The hangman understands that his position is a sacrifice that he needed to make in order to progress forward, whether as a repentance for past wrongdoings or a calculated step backward to recalculate his path onward. This time he spends here will not be wasted. He does this as part of his progression forward. His upside down state can also symbolize the feeling of those who walk a spiritual path, for they see the world differently. Where there are others that do not understand the need for sacrifice, you see it differently. This is a natural course of action for you as you walk the path alone, you being the person who draws this card, but also you as (laughs) the hanged man. The hanged man card reflects a particular need to suspend certain action. As a result, this might indicate a certain period of indecision. The solemn expression on his face traditionally suggests that that he is there by his own accord and that the card is meant to represent self-sacrifice. I thought this was so interesting because what we have really presented is someone who's stuck between two worlds, the living and the spiritual, right? And But not only that, it's someone who has done that to himself. He's purposely there. And for me, when I think about Obi-Wan, I think about his time all leading up to the exile on Tatooine and how there's such purpose and structure, I think, around that decision. And when I think about what he's even doing there, and of course, right now it is basically speculation because of the Kenobi show not being out yet. But I still think from what we know, you know, he's there to protect Luke, but he's also there to learned the netherworld of the force so not only is he firmly placed within the living world but he is also experiencing the spiritual in a really unique new for him way when we talk about obi-wan going to tatooine with luke and you and i have talked about this a bit i'm not sure how much this factors into other people's conversations about but about there being like a certain level of burden and guilt when he takes Luke to Tatooine and kind of his role and everything that's happened but there also is a like an element of choice in that and not just like choice by burden or guilt but I think I don't really have the right words to describe it but like hopeful choice or uh like privilege in a way to take Luke to Tatooine and to watch over him and uh, like responsibility. Like I think there can be a difference between like responsibility and burden. And I think if we kind of compare Obi-Wan taking over Anakin's training from the Phantom Menace versus Obi-Wan agreeing to take responsibility for Luke on Tatooine, I do think those are two very different Obi-Wans that embark on those journeys of I mean, not exactly mentorship of Luke at that point in his life, but um, you guys get what I'm saying. But like when he kind of takes charge of both Anakin and Luke, and he's a very different person. And I think that while both have elements of burden and responsibility, like with Anakin initially, there was more burden. But I think with Luke, there's more responsibility in a way. And uh, like his love for Anakin propels him to want to take care of Luke and to love Luke too. But yeah, you're right. Like during, like that's a choice, and he's kind of put himself in this position of isolation. This like he's he's made himself the hanged man in a way. And I don't know. I think it's a really compelling way to think about Obi Wan. I also think that like kind of taking it back to the card that Kara created for us, and that it's the background that is flipped upside down rather than Obi Wan himself. I think this kind of works well for Obi Wan because. 
while we're going to be talking about Obi-Wan's spirituality, I still kind of think of him as very by the books <laughs> Jedi, right? And I don't really think of him as someone with like uh, an a knack for divination or prophecy when it comes to the force and the Jedi. That's not something I necessarily associate with him immediately. Um, and so I think that, but I think like that's part of what we're going to see him be doing in Kenobi is kind of hopefully diving into some weird force stuff. Right. <laughs> but also in the sense that like his world was completely flipped upside down too. like, if we're going to, if I'm going to make it like a little, a little bit literal here, his world was completely flipped upside down uh, with order 66 and the fall of the Republic. And more than that, the, the betrayal and the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And that is what propels him to this next spot. And I think until then, like until this time when we've had the Kenobi, Obi show uh, coming, this period of Obi-Wan's life between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope really kind of has been him like held in suspension from like an audience's viewpoint and perhaps even from his own, you know, yet to be determined as we haven't seen the show yet. But it's like everything has kind of been suspended. Like all we know is that in this period he's on Tatooine and he's training. And what is he doing? Like it just it feels like we're pressing play on him in a couple of months, years, however long until we see the show. But I think it works really well with some of the connotations of the card and the the visuals of the card itself. I think it's funny that you use the word suspension because I think it's true. He is suspended and we are in a sense of suspension with his character, but it's sort of paradoxical that I could also think that this, he's also in a point of progression forward. Yeah. Um, which is what the, the description of the hangman says, you know, he's he, the time he spends here will not be wasted. He does this as a part of his progression forward. I think that there's so much purpose, like you said, in, and privilege too, in, watching over Luke and thinking that Luke is the chosen one and progressing the story of ending what he thinks is, you know, ending the evil that is caused by Darth Vader and the emperor and stuff by training and helping Luke who will eventually do that. And for him, I think that it's, you're right. Like, I think it's both a suspension and a progression, which is a paradox, but it's still, it still works for me. It's interesting. (laughs) Well, it's kind of like, it's almost kind of like Luke at the end of The Last Jedi, like the paradox of Luke, you know, being on crate but not really being on crate. Like he's he's moving the story forward, but he's not moving. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I don't know if that was a good metaphor but or a comparison. But well, I think it is a good comparison because Luke – Luke's archetype in The Last Jedi and in the sequel trilogy, you know, there's been so much talk about how Luke was meant to take over the Obi-Wan figure in the sequel trilogy and is that master there. So, of course, like, I think that's the same thing. I think you could argue that Luke is also a hanged man in a way. Yeah, that's interesting. It is, which is interesting because we talk about this period of where Obi-Wan's sense of suspension and progression is for Luke. And the same thing happens later, which I think is all part of the Star Wars story about like history is doomed to repeat itself or the repetition, the poetry of it all. Like it, it all is in a way like all repeating. Bummer. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a bummer. Sometimes it's uplifting. You know, you just never know. (laughs) It is both suspension and progression. It's a paradox. It's a paradox. Star Wars is tragedy, but we keep we coming, coming back. back to it. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but then you know, Star Wars is tragedy. That whole saying is that we say is based off of like Greek plays, and in Greek plays, tragedy does not end in tragedy because ultimately the story is hopeful. Yeah, 
Mic drop. Mm-hmm. Mic drop. <laughs> for, the, for the ancient Greeks, not for us. <laughs> for the ancient Greeks. Mic drop for the ancient Greeks. Oh, the comparison between Obi-Wan and Luke. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting one. And actually to do further comparison between Obi-Wan and Luke like in depth would be a really good episode in the future. So we should keep that in our back pocket. I feel like you're always looking for ways to talk about Luke that isn't the traditional way. So that works. We should do that. Yeah, yeah. I think (laughs) (laughs) this is – we've been playing – at some point we're going to do like an in-depth Luke uh, episode, something we've been talking about for a while now. And one of the things that I've always thought was so great about Luke was how he is bookended by – Anakin, like Vader's redemption, and then also Kylo's redemption. Uh, this was before Tross came out, so there were there was like some of our own speculation that was mixed into that. But regardless, I think that Luke's role in Vader's life and Kylo's life is really interesting. Like both of them on either side, these these respective Skywalkers, and I think that the same can be said about Obi Wan um, with his life bookended by Anakin, and then also by Luke, and then mm-hmm. the the similarities and the differences that he has to both of those characters, but also the way that he has imparted certain characteristics to those characters too like it's not just him being influenced by Anakin and Luke it's him Obi-Wan influencing Luke and Anakin and I don't know it I think this will that that episode the comparison of Obi-Wan and Luke will probably be really fruitful after the Kenobi show comes out because it'll be interesting to see the way that Obi-Wan talks about uh, the Jedi and the you know the second trilogy, how he talks about the Clone Wars, all of it. Um, will it be similar to how Luke talks about that time period in the Last Jedi? Because Luke talks about it in a very antagonistic way. Um, he blames Obi Wan for what happened to Vader, uh, to Anakin. <laughs> yeah. Which you re- like remember that was so like that was a that was insane. That was it insane. Was. It was it was crazy to think about um, about Luke's kind of whole framing of the prequel trilogy. Does that come from Obi Wan? Like we don't know that 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 um, yeah. that perception of what happened to Vader. Like once Luke knows the truth of who Vader is, that could very well have come from Obi Wan. It's it's interesting because if that did ever come from obi-wan through like the ghostly form which it it could have i mean we know that luke talked to obi-wan more than he did his own father right yeah but i i that goes back to the concept of self-sacrifice and progress but also suspension like sacrificing his own reputation yes who, who failed anakin Yeah. And like his worldview is the only way that he can progress forward is like the way he sees his endpoint is his own self-sacrifice. But he's also sacrificing himself from like living within the world, I suppose, um, while he's in exile. Yeah, I think, you know, it's such an interesting time period that we'll be seeing like this period of suspension slash progression for Obi-Wan in between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope because – while I'm sure there's growth there, like we've talked about the the difficulties in talking about Obi-Wan's character in the original trilogy and the way that he presents information to Luke is, you know, it's problematic. <laughs> um, it's a lie. It's uh, withholding the truth, I guess I should say, uh, a certain point of view. But like that, that doesn't discredit everything that Obi-Wan may or may not learn in this period uh, when he's watching over Luke and um, I don't know. It'll be really interesting to see because I don't know if I consider like, how do I want to say this? There are still things about Obi-Wan 
that I wish were different. Like if he were going to be quote unquote, the perfect person, which of course he's not right. Like none of these characters are, but like, if you're tracking character development, like I would expect that by the end of Obi-Wan's story, he would like share the truth. You know what I mean? But Mm -hmm. he doesn't actually do that at the end of his story because you know, that's the paradox of how Star Wars is made. (laughs) So I think it must be challenging for the writers to kind of fit all these pieces in and to make it still a consistent uh, character development that can show growth, but also explains how Obi-Wan is still holding on to a lot of trauma uh, and kind of refusal, not refusal to believe what happened to Anakin, but um, rejection of it, suppression of like those memories and that feelings, those feelings of what happened back then, um, like we kind of see him do in A New Hope. Yeah. All right. Are we, I feel like we're kind of as per usual, getting ahead of ourselves. Exactly. Um, <laughs> we need to dive into part two. Yes. I sense a trap. Next move, spring the trap. Okay, welcome to part two, where we're talking all about Obi-Wan's trials and tragedies. And I gotta say, guys, there's a lot of them. It's funny. It's not funny, but it's funny because we're so excited to come to this card, which kind of felt a little bit out of left field when we were working it into our Knowing Kenobi series. But we're real sad going through these notes. <laughs> like, yeah. Star Wars is tragedy and Obi-Wan is tragedy. And uh, I feel like we were kind of touching on that in the last section because I think that's part of uh, the hanged man of putting himself in this place of sacrifice. But also there are elements around him and Obi-Wan in particular that I'm talking about here, elements around him that are out of his control and things that happen to him that impact uh, the steps that he takes forward. And Obi-Wan has experienced so many pivotal tragedies and trials in his life. You know, Qui-Gon Jinn's death, Satine's death, losing Anakin, losing Padme too, his fellow Jedi, the entire order, like his entire way of life. It's not just that he lost the people he was closest to. He lost his entire world, his his entire purpose, really. Um, his isolation on Tatooine, uh, his final face-off against Vader, um, his years-long trial against Maul, the Clone Wars in general. Like, we know that Anakin was someone who, in a way, like, thrived off the victory that he got in war. But I don't mm-hmm. really think that was necessarily Obi-Wan. Like, don't get me wrong. Obi-Wan definitely tar- partook in the, like, the showmanship that Anakin did, too. <laughs> but uh, Obi-Wan was always kind of turned... 20 degrees lower than Anakin uh, in those moments. (laughs) But there's like, there's just so much that Obi-Wan carries with him and going through kind of all these instances and writing these notes. I was actually really sad. (laughs) I know. I know. There's no way to not be sad about all the things that Obi-Wan has experienced. And when you, when you really all list them out like that, you're like, damn, this character has been through everything. And it's always loss after loss. And if it's okay, I'd like to read this quote from James Luceno's Labyrinth of Evil, which is a non-canon book anymore. But honestly, it was really good. I read it way back in the day. And this quote, let me tell you, this this quote has stuck with me forever. And I actually couldn't remember where it was from. But Caitlin, do you want to be Anakin and I'll be Obi-Wan? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never claimed to be the chosen one. That was Qui-Gon. Even the council doesn't believe it anymore. So why should you? Because I think you believe it, Obi-Wan said calmly. I think you know in your heart that you're meant for something extraordinary. And you, Master, what does your heart tell you you're meant for? Infinite sadness, Obi-Wan said, even while smiling. Absolutely not. This this quote, this quote, (laughs) 
<laughs> is so much. Okay. Infinite sadness, Obi-Wan said, even while smiling, is Obi-Wan to a T. That's that the hanged line, man. That's the hanged man. That His is calm yes. expression while with one foot in this world and one in the other. With a calm exactly. expression. Uh. <laughs> Obi-Wan doesn't even admit to thinking that Anakin is the chosen one here, like at least in this in this line, if we want to I just analyze these lines he is instill as like a good master should he's instilling confidence in anakin here to like be the best he possibly can be he says i believe you're you know that you're meant for something extraordinary and i feel like he thinks about he thinks that about luke i think he thinks that about leia and that's like what a good master should do but for him to even say i'm meant for infinite sadness it's like oh my god obi-wan there's more (laughs) there's more for you but is there more it's sad (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you take this line and then immediately follow it up with the Revenge of the Sith line I've been talking about a lot the past couple weeks of it wasn't Obi-Wan versus Anakin, or it wasn't Jedi versus Sith, light against dark. It was Obi-Wan versus Anakin and all the damage they had done to each other. <sighs> Just bam, bam. Oh, Why is there been such beautiful stuff written about this duo? It's so good. <laughs> it's, so, it's so sad. It's so sad. <laughs> It like writes itself though. The tragedy is just so there. It really does. <laughs> so you had asked the question in our notes is what you said, infinite sadness. Um, is Obi-Wan destined only for sadness? Um, I think this is where the sac- the sacrifice comes in with the hang- hangman aspect. If you think sacrifice is infinite sadness or like leaning and bending towards sadness rather than hope, which I think the text of Star Wars kind of looks at it as hope whenever we have sacrifice right even if we the audience disagree with that i think that we're supposed to think about people's sacrifice like especially sacrifice and death as something to be commended for whether or not you agree with that is is separate from the fact that i think that's what the movies are supposed to be like that's what they're telling us you know so i don't know i think he is <laughs> destined for I would say infinite tragedy because there just seems to be a lot of trials and tragedies that happen in Obi-Wan's life and it just keeps on happening in this endless loop. I think Star Wars could do better at, you know, that the sacrifice doesn't have to end in death or that that should always be commendable. Of course, I'm talking about Ben here, but Ben Solo, I've realized what episode we're (laughs) we're talking about in this series. Um, Because I think... Yeah, you got to be careful. But actually, I'm glad that you made that a little bit of a mistake there because I don't think in this series we've actually talked enough about Obi-Wan and Ben having the same name. And I think it's a good place to bring this up here when we're talking about sacrifice and infinite sadness and things because these are two characters ben solo and obi-wan kenobi who i would say infinite sadness follows around them like that's what i would that's what i think about each of their characters like and each of their their ends end in self-sacrifice so it's really interesting and it makes the namesake very meaningful to me when i think about all the comparisons there Yeah, I think, you know, with – this is actually something I was going to bring up in the third part, but maybe here, since we're talking about Ben Solo, it would be a good time to mention this uh, or to read this quote, basically. So there's a part in the prequel archives book where George and – George Lucas and Paul Duncan, the author of the archives book, are talking about Obi-Wan and him – and, like, his character and basically him training uh, Anakin Skywalker. 
And so Paul says, when I first saw the films, I undervalued Obi-Wan because I followed Anakin's story, but Obi-Wan becomes more important to me the more we watch the movies. And George responds and says, he changed the course of history because if he had done battle with Anakin, Anakin wouldn't have been become very powerful and probably would not have gone on to be Emperor of the Universe. And Paul says, at the end of their duel, Obi-Wan is so personally attached to Anakin that he couldn't kill him. He couldn't bear to see him die. George said, he's human. The Jedi aren't superheroes. They're regular people like the rest of us. We all have midi-chlorians. We all have the force within us. We basically, And basically, he goes on to talk about how we need, like, Jedis need training and stuff like that. But then at the end of it, uh, Paul says, the landing platform where Obi-Wan says how proud he is of Anakin echoes the scene in Return of the Jedi, which is also on the landing platform. And Luke says, I know there's good in you, and he has faith in his father. And George says, there's a strain of faith running through the whole thing. When you're in this position as a mentor, whether you're an actual father figure or not, this person is in your charge, but you have no control over how they're going to use that knowledge. And Paul says, there's faith and hope and charity in the whole exchange. George says, nothing is set in stone, especially with the next generation. He hoped it would turn out okay. We hope they do the right thing. You hope you raise them right and all that stuff, but there's no guarantee or anything. You never know what's going to happen. That's the challenge and that's the drama which has gone through history. It's all about what they're going to turn into. And Paul says, even if you don't know how it's going to turn out, you can still carry on mentoring because you have to live with hope. And George responds, hope and faith. I have faith that it's going to turn out all right. I hope it'll turn out all right, but either way, it's the same. And sorry, that was like a really long uh, passage to read from, but this like, I felt like the context was necessary to get to this final line, this final phrase from George about hope and faith. He says, I have faith it's going to turn out all right. I hope it'll turn out all right, but either way, it's the same. And there's something like a little bit foreboding about that, at least like the way I read it in my head of hope and faith and how they're different, but also the same. And I wanted the reason I promise this connects back to Ben Solo and Ben Kenobi. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we're talking about the connotation and the comparison between Ben Solo and Ben Kenobi and them both ending in sacrificial death, which um, we can compare to the, the value of their sacrifices as it works within the story and that's a completely different episode but i think the other piece of it too like right they're both they're both sacrificed they both choose to be sacrificed too i think that's important but the other piece of this too is hope and i think when you think a lot about like why they decided to give ben solo ben kenobi's name for me i always kind of drew it immediately back to leia and her uh opening line to obi-wan kenobi in a new hope of help us obi-wan kenobi your only hope and i think that that line right of course that line is so important uh in the real world but it's also very important in universe as leia is constantly a person filled with hope and she likes to impart that to others She's a person, I think, that inspires a lot of hope in other people. And for her, the person who was giving her hope, the person who was their only hope, was Ben Kenobi. And of course, then we have the, that great scene in The Last Jedi where I forget the line now, but Snoke says, there's still hope in the galaxy if Skywalker lives, I think is the line, something like that. And right when he says the word hope, Ben Solo shoots up into frame, like he stands up at the word hope. One, I think you're supposed to make that comparison and draw that connection <laughs> between the term hope and Ben, Ben Solo and Ben Kenobi, because ultimately, ultimately Ben Kenobi does bring Luke and Leia together. Um, he has them meet, and that does set in course, set in motion the the rest of the original trilogy and the eventual redemption of 
Anakin Skywalker, whether or not Obi-Wan actually believed that would happen, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think this has been a very long-winded way to say that the comparison between Ben Kenobi and Ben Solo is an apt one, both on the tragic side of it with the sacrifices that they've made for the people that they loved, but also for the ways that they represent that they are symbols of hope to the people around them. Yes. And I also want to comment that the line of help me Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. I think you said our, and I think it's fine that you said our, but there's something personal there about that hope that I think that Leia carries down into naming her son that. And yes, there is a through line of hope and faith through both these characters. And just to bring it back to that line about infinite sadness, there's something that what makes a good character and not like an Eeyore type character of like infinite sadness but like the (laughs) fact that you you think of obi-wan as someone who is hopeful a good friend uh someone who cares deeply about other people about cares deeply about uh politics and doing the right thing and i think all those things all wrap up into one of the reasons why leia named her son after him um but also the fact that like the infinite sadness is yes it's a facet of his character but it's not everything it's not at all even though if we can we we know that there's a reason why he says that you know yeah okay so we've talked about like Obi-Wan's trials and tragedies and we talk a lot on the show about how things come in threes and particularly we've talked about this with Anakin as far as like Anakin losing the three kind of most important women in his life his mother Ahsoka and Padme and how that kind of is like sets the dominoes go at spinning towards his eventual distrust in the Jedi Order as well as his fall to the dark side like it's all kind of a, a piece of the puzzle so I thought it'd be interesting to talk about kind of the three most impactful trials or tragedies to Obi-Wan and at first I was like oh these are obvious and then I was like wait I don't think it is (laughs) the first two I think are obvious the first one being Qui-Gon Jinn I think this is clearly the first trial slash tragedy in Obi-Wan's life I was watching some behind the scenes content about the prequel trilogy and I think they and it was an interview with Ian McGregor and he talks about the duel with Maul and Qui-Gon at the end of The Phantom Menace and he talks about it and this was after this is like post Revenge of the Sith this is like I don't know not that long ago like three or four years ago but he basically he says that his favorite duel was the one against Maul and Qui-Gon and he says that these fights work so well and particularly the one at the end of The Phantom Menace because there's so much at stake. And it really is kind of the highest stakes duel for Obi-Wan that like because it sets everything in motion for how the rest of the rest of his life will go. And I think it's pretty clear to see that in the way that Anakin losing Shmi is kind of the foundational tragedy for Anakin, Obi-Wan losing Qui-Gon is kind of the foundational tragedy for him. It's also a foundational tragedy for Anakin as well. I just yeah. want to add that. That yes, it, yeah. it definitely is for Obi-Wan because it it completely changes his life his life before wasn't about skywalkers now it's about skywalkers <laughs> right everything has changed then and i think that you know dave filoni really said it best when he was talking on the mandalorian behind the scenes where he talks about the fight between qui-gon obi-wan and maul isn't about you know of course it is about this like it's a cool visual it is you know the fight for naboo's independence it's all of that the, the fight against the Sith for the first time in uh, 
millennium or generation or whatever. Um, but it's also the fight of the fate of the boy. And it's not just the fate of the boy, but it's actually like we can flip that on the head and say it's the fate of Obi-Wan too, because his entire life becomes entangled with Anakin in the future from this point forward. I think you're so right there. And of course it begins with a tragedy and it ends with a, I don't know. I feel like it ends with a tragedy too, with Obi-Wan dying when he sacrifices himself for Vader and for Luke and Leia to go to. I mean, Luke certainly thinks it's a tragedy. He mourns his death um, on the Falcon later. It's a hugely pivotal moment. And I think that so many people in, Again, with me saying the word cultural zeitgeist, but in the cultural zeitgeist, they're just like, oh, this is the coolest ever because of the John Williams themes, Duel of the Fates and everything. But it really is that. It's the duel of the fates. And the fate is of the boy, but it's also of Obi-Wan and what's going to happen to him. Because after this, everything has changed. Yeah, I think it, I we don't pay enough attention, I think, to the relationship between the title Duel of the Fates and this fight <laughs> yeah because it really is because if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin you know honestly who knows what would have happened um mm-hmm. there's this quote from the prequels archives book that says uh, in this case we have Qui-Gon the mentor who takes on Anakin and the Padawan Obi-Wan who thinks this is a bad idea so we've got a dynamic between these two Jedi at the end of the film Obi-Wan takes on an obligation to train Anakin one that he can't really fulfill because it's over his head and I think that that is like we've kind of been talking about this with with Obi-Wan taking on Anakin's training out of a feeling of burden and guilt, having watched his master die in his arms and murdered a Sith. Or so he thought um, it really is the duel of the fates. Like if Qui-Gon had trained Anakin, perhaps none of this would have happened. Maybe it would have been like, would Anakin have ever fulfilled his duty as the chosen one? Um, what would Obi-Wan's role have been in Anakin's life at that point? And we've also talked about this too, how it kind of shows, like this line in a way kind of translates into some of what we see in Revenge of the Sith um, in how Anakin doesn't go to Obi-Wan with his fears and his visions about Padme. He goes to Yoda. Um, and I think that I think that there's this kind of connection between this quote of like Obi-Wan being over in his head and this obligation to train Anakin and the fact that Anakin Anakin doesn't feel like he can go to Obi-Wan with this really important thing that's happening in his life, but can go to Yoda about it. Like, explain it to me, please, Anakin. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think that I think it's easy to point to Qui-Gon as kind of a foundational tragedy for the galaxy at large, honestly, if Mm -hmm. we're really going to take a big picture. Mm -hmm. But for Obi-Wan and Anakin particularly, and especially Obi-Wan, because that is his master. And even like in the High Republic series, we've seen different Padawans um, and Jedi lose their masters. And I think it's given it's given like more insight into how traumatizing that is for Padawans and, and for Jedi too, not just Padawans, but to lose the one that they have such a strong connection to. And like that's their person, you know, that's their mentor. That's the person who uh, kind of is in is in every day of their life, and now they're gone. Definitely. Okay, so the first tragedy is Qui-Gon. The second tragedy, again, this one is the obvious one, is Anakin. And I think we know that. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think we know that. <laughs> I think we know that. So I wanted to uh, read some quotes uh, just kind of talking about Obi-Wan's relationship with Anakin, and then we can kind of expound upon them. We have talked about a lot of this at length already, but um, felt important to add it in here too. 
So this quote is from Dave Filoni, and he says, Obi-Wan trains Anakin first out of a promise that he makes to Qui-Gon, not because he cares about him. He's a brother to Anakin eventually, but not a father figure. And I think that's from Dave's uh, monologue about the prequel trilogy and the Mandalorian behind-the-scenes content from season one. Mm -hmm. Uh, You Mm -hmm. can find the whole monologue kind of extracted on YouTube. Highly recommend it. Uh, If you want a good cry about Star Wars, it'll it'll bring you there. (laughs) (laughs) This other quote is from the original trilogy archives book, also by Paul Duncan. And it says, I think – and this is George talking about Obi-Wan. George says, I think you can make Ben take the blame for Vader. I should have given him more training. I should have sent him to Yoda, but I thought I could do it myself. It was my own pride thinking that I could be as good a teacher as Yoda. I wish that I could rid the pestilence that I've unleashed on the galaxy. His burden is that he feels responsible for everything that Vader has done. This next quote is from Ewan McGregor talking about uh, Revenge of the Sith. In the first half of Revenge of the Sith, you see an incredible bond and a real friendship so that there is something important that's lost by the end of the film. Then there's this quote from George Lucas about Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan had always had a suspicion about Anakin. In the beginning, he didn't want Anakin to become a Jedi. He thought what Qui-Gon was doing was wrong, but the Jedi Council let Anakin in and they made him Obi-Wan's Padawan. Then over the years, he lived with this kid. They fought together and they worked together, so they had a very strong bond now. So Obi-Wan is supporting Anakin because they're friends. He's seduced by his closeness to the situation. And then this quote is about, uh, this is at the very end of Revenge of the Sith. And it's Ewan talking about the moment that uh, Anakin says, it's the I loved you, you're my brother moment. Sorry, that's a bad way of explaining this. (laughs) But here's the quote. This is from the making of Revenge of the Sith book. After the first complete take, Lucas and McGregor discuss where he should say each line. Lucas says, as you watch Anakin slide down, how about if you take one step forward? For a moment, you think about it. Your first impulse is to save him, but then you realize you can't. As the takes multiply and the actors find their rhythm and emotions, the scene becomes more and more powerful. Christensen yells, I hate you. McGregor says, I love you, but I will not help you. Lucas explains that what Obi-Wan is really saying to Anakin is, you were only hope and you blew it. Now we don't have any hope. Take. After Anakin implores Obi-Wan to save him, George asks Ewan to say, I will not. Softer, almost to himself. Take. After he bursts into flames, Lucas directs, it's as if you're talking to a dead person, to a piece of toast. He suggests to drive the point home that McGregor changed the words in the script to the past tense. I loved you. Mm. I think... One, I I just have to say something that was kind of interesting in all of the research that Charlotte and I did about Obi-Wan is that there's actually not a lot of super in-depth discussion about the character of Obi-Wan from Ewan McGregor. Yeah. And I find this so interesting because I think Ewan McGregor is a really great actor. And I think that he thinks deeply about all of his characters, Obi-Wan included, of course. But I was going, for example, I was going through the prequels book and I, I... pretty sure I skimmed at least every single page in the prequels book for this Kenobi series, um, if not read like half of the book. And 
if whatever quotes there are from Ewan, they're in this series. Like I, ha- we have not left anything out really, <laughs> like anything substantial that is. I was showing Charlotte these like comparisons that there are a lot of pages of Hayden talking like really in depth about like the fall to the dark side and how he feels about it, how Anakin feels about it. You guys heard us talk about a lot of this when we were talking about uh, the dark side, uh, our dark side uh, kind of mini series that we did a couple months ago. But everything that Ewan kind of talks about is in relation to like the action sequences and the fights that he does throughout the prequel trilogy, which is important. Don't get me wrong. And obviously he spent a lot of time uh, practicing that and it pays off on film in such a huge way. But I just found it really interesting that at least from what we saw, there wasn't a ton of in-depth discussion about his character from Ewan. So it makes me really excited to see him kind of reflect back, hopefully in Kenobi and hopefully we'll get more like actual discussion from Ewan as we, um, probably after we after the Kenobi series is finished airing. Um, but I'm really curious to, I don't know, get more thoughts from Ewan McGregor specifically about uh, playing the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi. I am really excited for that too. And I hope that we get at least a little bit more reflection about Obi-Wan, at least in the time period that is being explored in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series. I think that's something that we will get because they've, at least in the Disney gallery type setting, I think that Ewan McGregor might really thrive there, but you're right. Like it is super weird that there isn't a huge reflection on character. Like even with Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen, there is, but it must be something about his craft because I've seen like very few places that he's talked pretty seriously about the characters he plays versus the script and the director. It's often like that's what he relies on, which I think is probably his choice as actors. Like that's kind of how he gravitates towards a project. And I think that was pretty true for the prequels. People were really interested in the very beginning. Not only was it Star Wars, but it was also George Lucas spearheading a new trilogy with like this new way of filmmaking that I think was really exciting to Ewan McGregor and Natalie Portman in particular. Maybe you could argue that they were a little disenchanted by it and by the next two movies. But in the very beginning, that was definitely um, something that they were lusting over and I can totally understand that you know and that's something that actors really like to do right they like to try out different directors and see how it goes and especially an opportunity to work for George Lucas for three complete films I think I think that's like generally where what Ewan McGregor is interested in talking about you know what I mean yeah um I also think it's interesting not to harp on this too much because I know we're still talking about Anakin and the tragedy of Anakin Skywalker as it relates to Obi-Wan. But there's something interesting about how Harrison Ford likes to deny the fact that he he like wishes he was Indiana Jones, but actually he's Han Solo. And like, it's interesting. The whole, you know, Harrison Ford's relationship to Star Wars is, has definitely gotten much better in the past couple of years, but it's been a a journey, you know? (laughs) And with Ewan McGregor, it's it's interesting because I can definitely separate him from Obi-Wan, but I think that he actually feels a lot of respect and reverence to the character. You can when you watch his like motorcycle series, Long Way Home, Long Whatever, there's like a bunch of different ones on there's some on Apple Plus and um there's a they're really good. You and it's a really good glimpse into you and McGregor as a person and he really, really cares for the character of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but it's interesting to not I just we haven't really heard him talk in depth about it, but there's something I think there about him identifying as 
Kenobi and um, what that means to him. And I'd really love the opportunity to talk to him about that if that ever happened in our life. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, my God. <laughs> shooting but, a like, shot. <laughs> yeah, I'm just shooting a shot. Why not? But also the uh, just in, if anyone wanted to ask about that, I, I, I think we're all desperate to talk to hear him talk about that. Anyway, one of the quotes that I wanted to talk about was the first one that you read as it relates to Anakin, which is Obi-Wan trains Anakin first out of a promise he makes to Qui-Gon, not because he cares cares about him. He's a brother to Anakin eventually, but not a father figure. Of course, Dave understands Star Wars better than Caitlin and I can (laughs) ever will and usually sums up, you know, something so interesting in a little nugget. But this quote to me really stuck out to me because the 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 fact that Obi-Wan by the end of Revenge of the Sith says you were my brother, Anakin, I loved you. I love that quote that you read later about the past tense and the changing that happened in between takes. Don't you want to see that footage? Oh my God, I want to see that footage. Surprising we have it. My God. I know. Honestly, There's so much footage Lucasfilm is, is sitting on, Caitlin. There's so much out there. It's rude. <laughs> and it's it's digital. It's digital too. So like it exists. They it's could not just, like lost in the canister, you know? They could just hit upload, <laughs> put it on the cloud. They could do that for us. They, they really could. could. <laughs> they could pour one out for us and give us Obi-Wan. Yeah. Take after take of I loved you. I can't. Help anyway, you. I just think there's there's also a tragic element in the fact that Anakin. Here we have a character of Anakin Skywalker who was born to no father, right? And you could you can view his character through the lens of constantly seeking a father figure, right? He seeks a father figure in uh, Qui Gon, I suppose, in the very beginning, and then later in Palpatine and then a reluctant father figure in Obi-Wan and he doesn't find it. Like Dave says that like he doesn't find it, right? He's a brother to Anakin. And I think that's even reflected later in Revenge of the Sith when you were my brother, Anakin, I loved you. And perhaps that's another great tragedy too, where in the master and apprentice relationship, there was the sense of competition between the two that never formed into father son, but instead brother which is just a completely different relationship, right? Um, yeah. I think in previous episodes, I said it can be both. And I think it can be both, but I just want to offer this like different way of viewing it and as a tragedy as well of Anakin's own inability to find a father figure that actually, that is what he needs, you know? All these quotes are really good. <laughs> <laughs> I love them all. Um, but I, I want to also re- return to the the uh, the past tense of like talking to a piece of toast like oh my george george is so unsubtle sometimes like you know for such a brilliant man as he is which he totally is you know uh the fact that he's like as if you're talking to a dead person to a piece of toast it's like okay <laughs> george was a prequel memer before we had prequel <laughs> memes you know <laughs> he really was <laughs> George Lucas not only invented digital filmmaking, but also meme culture. Yeah, it is just so funny because the the fact that that line led to an improvement in, in the acting and the writing itself, too, is, is in it really was an improvement. Thinking about Anakin as unsavable is what Obi-Wan needed to do in that moment, like to conceptualize to that away. concept in order to walk away. And so, like... To be present on that set as things were being as things were being changed and everything, and I, my understanding is that this actually happens a lot with George Lucas. Um, 
unlike a, someone like Ryan Johnson, who's like very attached to the script and what needs to happen and everything. But George is someone who iterates on the spot. And um, I think that this was probably a moment for these characters, these actors, and like some of their final scenes in Revenge of the Sith to change things, to make it the most powerful because everything was leading to this point. Like it's one of the reasons why you sign on to the, to do the prequels to like get to this point of the lava planet. Right. And the separation of Obi-Wan and Anakin. And it is such a tragedy. And like, that's what we're talking about here. The the things coming in tree in, in threes, but there's a lot of different tragedies that happen within Obi-Wan's relationship to Anakin. Yeah, absolutely. I think the one that I love the most is the one where George Lucas says, Obi-Wan is seduced by his closeness to the situation. And in this whole greater conversation of George Lucas uh, being brilliant, like this line, it doesn't feel very George Lucas. He's been seduced by his closeness to the situation. Like, let's just compare kind of the juiciness of that line to he's a piece of toast. (laughs) And I just think that it is uh, funny. (laughs) But I think it's, it's such kind of a... Like, we don't think of Obi-Wan as someone who is seduced. Uh, we don't think, like like we said, he's the by-the-books Jedi is kind of how people conceptualize him initially. And so thinking about Obi-Wan as taken off guard of seduced by his closeness to the situation, that being Anakin, it feels out of character. But, like, that's also the point is that... Obi-Wan, like, like that first quote from Dave, right? He's in over his head or... Uh, I'm sorry, that was from the prequel archives book by Paul, Paul Duncan. Um, he's That Obi-Wan is in over his head when he trains Anakin. Uh, but then he also gets in over his head by just his attachment to Anakin too at the end of it. And it's so, it's so ironic because he harps on Anakin, not harps, but encourages and advises Anakin, you know, to let go of Ahsoka. He tries to coach Anakin through saying goodbye to Ahsoka and accepting that she's gone. But he can't do the same thing when it comes down to it to his own Padawan. And there's like a beautifully sad irony in that. Yeah. I would also argue that if we're talking about threes and the first tragedy, main tragedy of Obi-Wan is Qui-Gon. The second is Anakin. And we're going to talk about the third. But I'd argue that Anakin's tragedy includes the Jedi Order falling and the like everything that was wrapped up in that, not just the person himself um what do you think about that do you think that's true Uh, I don't know I mean I don't know if I would agree with that because I don't think that like when I think of the loss like when I think of Anakin the loss of Anakin I think uh, and like that as the the pivotal tragedy a pivotal tragedy for Obi-Wan I think about it explicitly in within the confines of Mustafar and Mm -hmm. especially at the end with this like I loved you you're my brother moment Because I think in that moment, one, I don't think that Obi-Wan has fully realized the true extent. Like, I think, like, I say that, but, like, I know he knows that Order 66 has happened. Like, I I know that he is aware of all of that. Um, But I think that the degree to which it will truly impact his life has not completely settled on him yet. I guess I would say it that way. It hasn't fully settled. It's not – maybe it's not even until – And maybe this is part of what the Kenobi show will show us that like a year into Tatooine, it's like this. I think the Obi-Wan show is takes place 10 years into Tatooine. That's true. Yeah. 
but maybe we'll see Obi-Wan like reflect on his acceptance of that this that this is his lot in life that he's been made to suffer. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe maybe Obi-Wan held this hope for a long time when he first got to Tatooine that things would turn around like like who knows what like what if Obi-Wan tried to reach out to Vader? You know, like mm-hmm. we there's so much that could happen that could really that could really shake up how we think of Star Wars, you know. Yeah. We, as the audience, know that 20 years exists between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope, but Obi-Wan himself doesn't necessarily know that. So you bringing up that what if Obi-Wan tries to confront Vader again once he realizes that that's actually Anakin, you know, there's going to be that realization, I think. I think that's totally possible. We know that there's this is a waiting game of exile until Luke is ready. But it's not like Obi-Wan, the character, is aware of that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Luke, he doesn't know that, oh, we're waiting for the perfect moment for Luke to be ready to leave Tatooine so that he can go and blow up the Death Star. And, like, that's going to be a big moment. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's going to be like an end of the movie moment. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just a lot of possibilities there for continuous tragedies of Obi-Wan hitting walls that he he doesn't know the future. I mean, he actually could because he's a Jedi, but... I don't think that in in this like structural way he doesn't. So this 20-year period that we're so familiar with, there's a lot that could be going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And just the idea now that I've thought of it of of Obi-Wan like going after Vader, going after Anakin is really compelling, honestly. <laughs> and really sad. And I'm just I'm just going to bring it up, you know, what if they meet through the Force? Like like envisions, like what if they talk to each other? Almost oh my gosh, like like a dyad. Yeah, like the first, like the Force Awakens vision of Rey and Kylo. How we were always like, are they actually seeing each other, or is this just Rey having a vision of Kylo? You know what I mean? Like that was always yes. a huge discussion. Could be really interesting. The shared vision. The, the shared, shared vision. Oh my god, the shared vision. Um, <laughs> I think it could be so interesting because on the one hand, I think that Obi Wan would. I think that Yoda. Honestly, if I'm going to put this out there, I think that Yoda would tell Obi-Wan to stay put, that Obi-Wan leaving Tatooine puts Luke at risk and that he would try and convince Obi-Wan to not do anything. I wonder if at that point in Obi-Wan's life, though, if he would try to leave, like if like we like all of this, I loved you, Anakin and or I. Obi-Wan was seduced by his attachment to Anakin. They were brothers. Something important was lost. Like, would Obi-Wan want to see if he could change the tide of the galaxy, right? Like, if he we're, – we're being told over and over again that he feels guilt about what happened with Anakin. Um, the fate of the galaxy believes that it's in part his fault. Would he ever try to rectify that by going mm-hmm. after Anakin, going after Vader? What would come of that? I don't know. I think that would be really interesting, though, to see or to even see it talked about, um, especially because I think it could even further solidify how Obi-Wan views Vader in A New Hope. Like, maybe it is just this at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Like, we see Obi-Wan say, I loved you. Like, maybe that's all the character needs to kind of compartmentalize away Anakin for the rest of his life. But maybe it isn't, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that could be really interesting to see play out. I totally agree. Who do you think is the third tragedy for Obi-Wan here? This is, I don't know. I was going to ask you. 
<laughs> I have a I have a thought. I have a thought. Okay, yeah. So I would say that I think the tragedy is the Clone Wars because I would encapsulate the tragedy of the Clone Wars in with her the sort of tragedy of Satine as well. I know I tried to just glom on the tragedy of the Jedi to Anakin <laughs> about ten minutes ago, but I would like to say that the tragedy of the Clone Wars is sort of equivalent to Satine because they're all caught up in a war together between systems that is ultimately out of their own hands and that includes Satine's terrible death which also includes Maul like it all it's it's all together yeah it is I I always want to separate out these things like I did with Anakin and the Jedi Order but I do think the Clone Wars is kind of a different thing from the Jedi Order in a way like even though they are like so tied together um, inextricably so I do think that perhaps like once like that Obi-Wan's reflection on the Clone Wars and everything that it entailed and finding out that it was all for naught and it was all just a ploy in Palpatine's plan makes it all that more tragic and if Obi-Wan realizes that and that Satine's death was ultimately uh, meaningless because the war was meaningless like she didn't have to die all those other people didn't have to die it makes it like completely more tragic and does he ever come to that realization he could <sighs> I mean that goes back to our conversation about whether or not Obi-Wan is an introspective character or not in the last episode yeah um, and I think we argued both sides there where Obi-Wan hasn't fully reached that level of introspection that I think we expect from a character who is such a mentor such a we've seen so many sides of and like through so long right from his youth to his death in older age right and I think that perhaps once he did reflect upon this then we could sort of narrow down what that third tragedy is (laughs) so what do I guess what do you think is the most the third most important relationship for Obi-Wan is it Luke is it Maul is it Satine is it someone we haven't met know. yet? It's not someone we haven't met yet. But it is – it's between Luke and Satine. It's just hard for me to separate Luke sometimes from Anakin. And like the – and I know that's just in in reference to Obi-Wan's story. Because yeah. Obi-Wan wouldn't be watching over Luke if it wasn't for his relationship to Anakin. And also because he would eventually th- – he uh, thinks that Luke is – the chosen one and i think that this could be i could have my mind changed based off of the television show just because of whether or not he actually think it's more of a duty to like padme or someone but for me i think that and again that's even me saying that i'm like well padme is connected to anakin so it's like it's all related i mean it's not like luke is 50 50 of both (laughs) so um i i think that it's uh it's hard for me to say, I guess. I don't know. I think that his most important relationship is probably Anakin and Luke and the Jedi. Not sure. I'm really not sure. Yeah, I'm really not sure either. It's one of those things, too. Like, I think this is such an interesting position to be in doing this series before the actual Kenobi series. Because what are the things that Obi-Wan is going to reflect on that he's going to talk about in the show? Because I think that will shed a lot of light on what we're supposed to infer are the most important things to him. Like, is it Satine? Is he going to talk about Maul? Is he going to talk about Luke? Is he talking about Anakin? Is he um, talking about Yoda? Quite Like, what is it that he is spending his the most time on? In some ways, I think that it's Satine 
as the third most important relationship to him. I think it could be anyway. I think that we talked about this in the first episode of kind of using Obi-Wan and Satine as a comparison to Anakin and Padme. And I think that in a lot of ways, that's what the story wants you to do and is to also kind of open this door of, oh, Anakin doesn't know everything about Obi-Wan. But I think we need to know more about Obi-Wan and Satine's relationship to, I guess, confirm it as the third most important relationship to him, the one that is also like the third most pivotal tragedy for him. So I think that that there's still kind of some needed information, I think, for the third one, which is kind of exciting to think that it's not so clear cut um, like Qui-Gon and Anakin are. Um, I don't think it's small. I would be surprised if it's small. I think Obi-Wan is one of the most important relationships for Maul. Like if I were Mm -hmm. doing this exercise for Maul, (laughs) I think it's Obi-Wan. But I don't think that Obi-Wan feels that way about Maul. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. Um, And I just, you know, that line from season seven of Clone Wars where uh, Obi-Wan tells Ahsoka that he's like kind of flipping about it. He's like, I've already killed him once. So can you make sure he stays dead this time? (laughs) Like (laughs) Obi-Wan is over it. Yeah. Obi-Wan at that point doesn't (laughs) feel like he needs to be the one to go and kill Maul, which I think we kind of see a change of heart later in twin sons. But yeah, I, I, I don't think that he would consider Maul his third most important relationship. <laughs> um, I think it is worthwhile to bring up the quote, though, that Dave uh, Dave Filoni said about Obi-Wan in the episode Twin Sons from Rebels. I think this kind of goes back to our overall discussion of the hanged man as the tarot card. And Dave says about Obi-Wan being in Tatooine, being on Tatooine, Dave says, quote, Being out there is a journey. It's like a rite of passage for him. It's like he's got to stand the heat of the desert, the cold of the night, and he has to learn that. All the cares that he's had, all the people that he's seen die, I think that's very difficult for him. And again, Mm. ouch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I think that Dave agrees about the infinite sadness line. I I, I would put money on that. Um, But I would say that our conversation here just now makes me feel even more so that we need the Obi-Wan show. I know there's been several fans who are like, eh, what do we, we know what happens to him in that period. But do we, I don't think we really know everything there is to know about Obi-Wan and like what makes him tick and who he is and what he has on the line and what he has to learn and to know to get from point A to Z, right? Um, I think there's a lot to that's left unsaid. Yeah, particularly in this period of suspension and progression, there are still so many question marks. Yeah. So I guess to kind of sum up this uh, this section about Obi-Wan's trials and tragedies, I like I said, when I was writing these notes, I was pretty darn sad um, and thinking about Obi-Wan's role in kind of all of their lives. And I think you're right. There are still so many question marks and he kind of is defined Like, for as much as we don't know about him, what we do know about him is defined by tragedy and trial. You know what I mean? Um, And I think for me going through this exercise for Obi-Wan, it's made me, like, for the Kenobi show, which we've been talking a lot about this episode, we talk so much about, like, what reflection Obi-Wan's going to do and how angsty it's going to be. And um, it's going to be really, like... Obi-Wan's going to be sad and like bad things are probably going to happen, you know, and I think all of that is true, but I really do hope that there are characters in the Kenobi show that can bring joy to Obi-Wan because 
I think like he needs that so much in his life. Like he has to have there has to be some levity for him or like, I really hope there's some levity for him in these like days of isolation in the desert. Maybe he's not with those people for all of the 20 years that he's on Tatooine, but I hope that there are moments where like he can smile or he like has, you know, Tuesday night Sabacc games that kind of give him a break from, from everything that he, that he's dealing with internally, you know, because I, I would like to see that for him. Um, but I just kind of summarized this when I uh, in our notes when I was writing them earlier last week. Um, and I said, particularly in the prequel trilogy, you can really see emotion overtake Obi-Wan in these pivotal moments through the loss of Qui-Gon and Anakin. He's so close to both of them in their last and darkest moments, and he has to bear witness to it all. Perhaps it's why at the end with Anakin, he can't bear to be there anymore to do the final deed of killing Anakin. Obi-Wan ultimately gains the higher ground. Metaphorically, he survives, but he's left behind in the end, completely alone with his demons and no one to share them with. Qui-Gon was murdered. Satine was sacrificed. Anakin was lost. The galaxy was doomed. The Jedi Order destroyed. Um, Obi-Wan survives them all and carries all their memory and tragedy within himself. He's their keeper. And yeah, it's just, I think you can probably point to Obi-Wan as perhaps the most tragic figure in um, in Star Wars, I think, which feels like a big statement to say. But um, I think kind of going through all of this, it really illustrates that Obi-Wan does have one foot in the world of the living and one foot in the world of the dead. Um, he carries the dead with him, I think, every day. And I think we will see some of that in the Kenobi show. But like I said, I, I do hope that there is something lighter that we get to see Obi-Wan experience through his time on Tatooine. Yeah, I agree. But I think that your point about the fact that he carries the dead or carries these tragedies with him is so important and speaks so much to his sacrifice later. And I think that you're so, I think perfectly on point when you talk about the reason that's like one of the reasons why we chose the hanged man as a card that we were going to talk about the framework, because there is this, the fact that Obi-Wan carries on as one of the lone Jedi who survived all this and not just the fall of the Jedi, but all these personal tragedies as well. And eventually he is supposed to instill hope in to Luke about the fact that it's all worth it to avenge or overturn or something. There's a lot there, you know, there's just a lot. <laughs> yeah. All right. Are we ready to move on to part three? Yes. Another happy landing. So welcome to part three. We're going to be talking about Obi-Wan as a spiritual figure or Obi-Wan just as spiritual. So jumping off of what we just talked about, really, about how to sum up um, Obi-Wan as someone with one foot in the living world and one foot in the spiritual world, do we actually think this is true? Like, can we take the 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 opposite effect of what we just said about how, yes, this is the perfect archetype, but in terms of obi-wan's own journey like what is obi-wan's journey with the force and how can we talk about that i think it's complicated because like i said at the top of the show like i don't obi-wan isn't a jedi i think of when i think of weird force stuff you know what i mean Me too. which is kind of Me what too. i think of when i think of one foot in the spiritual world um yeah. <laughs> so, so i think there are there are multiple meanings to one foot in the spiritual world uh that we can look at in regards to you know, him doing weird force stuff or, you know, the memories of the dead that he carries with him. I think both are kind of apt for the character. And I think that part of his tragedy is, you know, doing the latter of keeping the memories of those he's lost with him of, 
you know, witnessing all witnessing all of their deaths, honestly, um, up close and personal. And but like, how does but does he necessarily walk that path in regards to the force? I don't really think so, at least not right now. It's interesting because I think that by the end of Revenge of the Sith, we're supposed we're told that Obi Wan is going to go on basically what we can assume is like a crash course and just connecting with the spiritual world, right? After he is introduced from Yoda, that Qui Gon has learned how to commune with the living, and it would have been so cool to see that because I think that I'd have a much clearer idea about what was going on with Obi-Wan. And even throughout the Clone Wars, it's not like Obi-Wan is a character that we see have these moments of like weird force stuff, like you mentioned, with the the exception being Mortis. So if we think about Obi-Wan on Mortis, like that character, he's the one that is kind of the most dubious of everything that is going on, right? Like we have Anakin there, we have Obi-Wan there, we have Ahsoka there. They're all sort of like, what the heck are we doing here, <laughs> right? Um, but Obi-Wan is perhaps like the least involved with like the weird force stuff because Obi-Wan isn't like a conduit for such prophecies like that, which is really interesting because I think you can view Obi-Wan like I wouldn't be surprised if there was a prophecy that included Obi-Wan somewhere or something that you can interpret that included Obi-Wan in the story of the Skywalkers, right? Because he is such a crucial figure for Luke, for Anakin, for, I guess, Leia, right? Even for Maul. So like this connection with the Sith, right? I think that throughout the Clone Wars, Anakin and Obi-Wan were quite the duo. We see it written about in the Revenge of the Sith novelization. We see it in action in the Clone Wars television show. But I think it's pretty clear that Anakin is the one with the storm of the force inside of him. Obi-Wan is so even keeled. And part of me, it's interesting because like when I reflect back even on Obi-Wan's own relationship with Qui-Gon, I think our closest thing to like how does Obi-Wan grow within the Force can be traced back to like that Claudia Gray novel, Master and Apprentice. But even still, it's been a little bit since I read that. And I wouldn't say that Obi-Wan's like relationship with the Force like fully changes like from like it, it doesn't do like a major flip or anything like that. Yeah. And there are some spiritual moments that Obi-Wan has in the Clone Wars, but they're just not on the same level as our other characters. I just wouldn't be surprised if we saw that later in the show. I think that there needs to be some sort of introspective moment. We talk, we've talked about like spirits. We've talked about dreams and communications and things like that. Yeah, like that's a good point, actually, that we haven't – I think we followed – you. You brought that up about like Anakin and Obi-Wan communicating through dreams, but like we haven't even ever seen what Obi-Wan, like what are his dreams like? I think that the the High Republic has made it pretty clear that not every Jedi has premonitions or dreams or um, goes off into like um, another plane when they kind of dream about the future like some characters in the high republic which i think is super cool and that we're exploring that in that era um it gives me hope that that's something that can be explored in the future for maybe even a character like obi-wan but it's not something that happens right we see obi-wan in dreams (laughs) but never (laughs) never dreaming himself or having a premonition and it's interesting because even when we talk about twin sons he is so sincere and so Um, firm in his belief that Luke is the chosen one, I have to wonder what he has experienced through the force to make him think that, especially if he's 
communicating. And we've talked about this a couple of times. I don't think in this way, especially if he's communicating with Qui-Gon, right? During this time period where Qui-Gon was pretty dead set on Anakin being the chosen one. It's so much so that he was willing to defy the council and train him without the council's blessing and things like that. What does Obi-Wan think about that? If if there ever is a reversal or does Qui-Gon agree that maybe Anakin wasn't the the chosen one in the, in the end, you know? It's it's weird. We need it we need a spiritual moment with Obi-Wan because for me his relationship to to the Force is even keeled. It is pretty steady and that's like a facet of his character it's not necessarily a bad thing it's just not like an Anakin or a Ben Solo or even a Luke yeah I think that's kind of the best way to talk about his character in relationship to the force like it it feels pretty consistent um and he like it's clear that something changes for him because we have you know Yoda discussing with him, Qui-Gon Jinn has been teaching Yoda through the Force, and now he's going to show Obi-Wan how to do the same thing, to go on to live in the in the cosmic force after death, basically. Um, but we've also seen that like Yoda had to go through some like pretty intense training to get there with his whole arc with the Force priestesses on, on Malachor, and it really makes you wonder like how Obi-Wan is going to, like what what is that kind of training going to look like for him? Because I think it will look different. I think it looks different for every Jedi and kind of who they are. Um, And I think, but I think you're right. Like you bring up a really good point, Charlotte, about the fact that like Luke or that Obi-Wan considers Luke the chosen one. And this is kind of a stark difference to Qui-Gon and how Obi-Wan gets to that point. Does he get to that point with Qui-Gon? Like, in discussion with Qui-Gon, without Qui-Gon, like on his own. Um, Who does Obi-Wan talk to about this? Or does he just kind of reflect and decide it for himself? You know, I think that's such an interesting thing to think about when we're talking about the Kenobi show and what will or won't be included in it. While you were talking, I found myself wondering, as I usually do, how would Obi-Wan interact with a character like the Bendu. I'm always thinking about the Bendu. The Bendu is like one of my favorite things ever <laughs> to come out of like weird force stuff. And <laughs> I want so many characters to interact with the Bendu. But I think it would be such like an interesting conversation, especially with the Bendu, which is neutral in the force. And we think I think we can kind of use terms like neutral and even keeled kind of in similar circles. Like there's a Venn diagram, like they overlap, I think, um, as far as like how perhaps Obi-Wan views the Force versus the Bendu. Like I wonder if their conversation would be productive or if it would not be. Um, But I think that like every time that a Force user has had kind of a – like a pivotal growth moment in regards to their relationship to the force. It's always been through some very spiritual, you know, honestly kind of trippy experience. (laughs) And I think, you know, we saw that with Kanan and his interaction with the Bendu. Yoda, we saw it on Malachor, Ahsoka uh, Ahsoka and Anakin on Mortis, Ahsoka also with um, the world between worlds. Ezra as well experienced the world between worlds. Um, Luke on Dagobah, uh, Anakin, like I already said, on Mortis, um, Ray in the cave on Octo. Uh, I think, I don't know if Kylo necessarily has had a similar experience. Um, perhaps he, it's just not written yet, you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or 
you know, let me put on my tinfoil hat. He's going through that very spiritual experience right now (laughs) in the cosmic force on his way back to the living world. (laughs) But I think that Obi-Wan has to go through something like that. I think it's going to be that next step for his character. And I think you're right in that talking about his belief about the chosen one is going to be a part of that conversation and a part of his relationship to the force because the the chosen one the idea of the chosen one is you know in a lot of ways what is is what kickstarted not in a lot of ways it did kickstart this whole um tragedy that was why they decided to bring anakin in it was a big part of the reason why and we even see the masters talking about it in revenge of the sith with obi-wan of like he's the chosen one and they're all like well what if he's not And Obi-Wan has to wrestle with that. And I think Obi-Wan is going to continue to wrestle with that. Like, oh, I was wrong. I think he's going to believe that he was wrong about Anakin based off of what happens in Revenge of the Sith. I don't know. I think I'm kind of rambling here. But I think think you've tapped into something that we'll probably see kind of heavily explored in (laughs) Kenobi. (laughs) Sometimes I think about what Star Wars would be like if – and this isn't like a slight to them using the Chosen One as a storytelling device. But – I wonder what Anakin's story would be like had the chosen one prophecy not be a thing at all. Because so much of like that's a label, right? That Anakin lives under. And then anything that he is deemed good or bad lives under the label of isn't he the chosen one? What do we think about that? And so much of, of like his tragedy, I think, is even wrapped up into the pressure of that. In the prequels, especially, like maybe only in the prequels. I just I wonder how that is and what it would be like without that, because I think Obi-Wan himself goes through waves of believing and disbelieving and not knowing what to think about all of that. I love the conversation of the Chosen One. I think it's so good. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's difficult to talk about Obi-Wan's relationship to the Force because I don't think he's really talked about his relationship to the Force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't really see it all too much in the prequel trilogy or even in the Clone Wars. It's just kind of be mindful of your feelings. Uh, be careful what you're thinking about. Um, to meditate, you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think he knows what a Jedi should be and how a Jedi should relate to the Force, but when all of the structure that he kind of believed in so wholeheartedly is gone, I think that's going to completely revolutionize his relationship to the Force. And again, the how we get from Obi-Wan in Revenge of the Sith to Obi-Wan in A New Hope, there are pieces of him that inevitably have to grow, but then there are pieces of him that don't in regards to like him lying about who Vader is to Luke. So I think it's it's going to be very interesting to see how they navigate that. And, you know, I think we, like we said, you can view Obi-Wan as the most tragic figure in Star Wars. And I, I, think, he, I think that's a good label to give him, honestly. But he has, like, Obi-Wan still has to have hope in the future. Like, it can't just be about duty for him. It can't just be about Luke and Anakin um, when he's on Tatooine. Like, I think there has to be something greater that keeps him going. Because 
God, that like that's just too tragic for me. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I want there to be something else for Obi Wan. Like we've been talking about how we kind of view him in relation to the Skywalker story, and yes, of course, that's how the story is set up for him to be a main side character to the Skywalkers, if that makes sense. But now that he's stepping into like a main character role in the Kenobi show, like there has to be. There has to be something else for him there, whether it's just the fate of the galaxy. I think that is something else there, but I don't know. I think that I put this in our notes that like, I think he still has hope even throughout all of this tragedy that has happened to him. And like, that's part of how he keeps going. And I think that kind of like twinkle that we see in his eye in a new hope is evidence of the hope that he feels both for Luke and for the galaxy. Like, that expression is so particular uh, in A New Hope that he has. And they talk about it too. Um, like when Ewan is talking about becoming Alec Guinness, he talks about like the twinkle in Alec's eye. And I don't think an unhopeful, like completely downtrodden character would have that kind of descriptor attached to him. And so I think, like, I think it will be a roller coaster for Obi-Wan. And that is part of why The Hanged Man works well, I think, especially to talk, I feel like we're kind of focusing on this time period of Revenge of the Sith to New Hope. And I think that's why The Hanged Man works so well of the suspension and the progression, like both are happening concurrently because Obi-Wan is a complex figure. And it's not just that he is progressing forward, like perfectly, no speed bumps or anything, or it's not just that he is suspended in kind of um, grief when he's on Tatooine. Both are happening at the same time for him. Yeah, I was just thinking about our conversation about the hermit in the last episode and how several things that you just spoke about reminded me that we categorized Obi-Wan as the enlightened hermit versus the shadow hermit who's someone mm -hmm. who's given up and who's in the dark. But we said that since like in terms of hermit archetypes, Obi-Wan isn't someone who hides away from the world because the world has forsaken him. He's someone who hides away because there's strength in the future. Yeah. And I think there's something there in this connection between his own spirituality and that belief system that there's something better that he's preparing for. And that's like part of his, you know, hermitage or hiding away or something. And I I think it's it's just interesting. It's I, I am finding myself wondering if you and I could each give an answer about what we think Obi-Wan believes in. I think Obi-Wan believes in the prophecy of the Chosen One. Mm -hmm. And Do you think that he believes in the prophecy of the Chosen One or do you think that he believes in prophecies that are put forth by the Jedi? I think he believes in the prophecy of the Chosen One. I think, okay. I think his answer in Attack of the Clones would have been in the Jedi. But I think by the time we get to a new hope and empire and return the jedi it's the prophecy of the chosen one i think that and the the ramifications of that prophecy coming true are what give him hope for the galaxy i agree because i think through our conversation we've definitely put our finger on the fact that the idea of the chosen one is the catalyst of which everything begins and if obi-wan didn't have belief in that then perhaps he would be that shadow hermit that unenlightened character that unspiritual kind of wretch right yeah. of someone who doesn't who has like turned his nose away from the world 
I don't really see Obi-Wan as someone who is like that. I think that we know that he goes into exile, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's like over it. You know, (laughs) I think the only time that we can talk about Obi-Wan being over it is when it comes to to Maul. Even with (laughs) Maul, he was willing to uh, show compassion. Yes, both show compassion and talk about the Chosen One prophecy and sort of in these dying moments, share the hope for the future. And Maul agrees, too, at the very end, which is what's really cool. Oh, God, that episode is just so perfect. <laughs> I think that Obi-Wan's belief in the the Chosen One prophecy is, like, intrinsically tied to both his grief and his hope. Like, if the Chosen One prophecy isn't true, what was it all for? Like, it truly was meaningless. And even while I'm here on Tatooine, it's meaningless. Like, that that above anything has to be true for Obi-Wan's life to have ultimately meant something. I agree. Ouch. 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 (laughs) Yeah. So I do think that is ultimately what Obi-Wan believes in, which is strange because I think his belief at who the Chosen One is changes. And, um, you know, like in The Phantom Menace, it didn't really seem that he believed that was Anakin. But then by Revenge of the Sith, that is part of his defense of Anakin to the Jedi Council. But then he's proven wrong because – or so he believes – because Anakin falls to the dark side and everything is lost. And then I imagine there is like a very, very low point for Obi-Wan at some point shortly after the events of Revenge of the Sith. And then he finds this new belief, this new hope that it's it could be Luke, who's ultimately the chosen one, and that that could give him hope again. Um, I think it's very interesting. I think that Obi-Wan's final lesson, though, is like the belief in the ultimate hope in Star Wars, which is redemption and the choice the ability to make a new choice to be better. And it's odd because like Obi-Wan has to see it to believe it when it comes to Anakin. But mm-hmm. Anakin is like that most pivotal tragedy that or that I think Qui-Gon is the most pivotal tragedy, but Anakin is the one that hurts the most, I think. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's why it's the hardest to, I guess, kind of have hope for Vader's soul when it, it cuts so deeply for Obi-Wan. Yeah, I think that's, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And that's something that is sort of confounding to me as someone who likes Anakin as a character and likes Obi-Wan as well. It hurts me that he just never really saw that Anakin could be saved, that he was too far from any sort of redemption and that Luke was the only person that could change that and that not change in the way that and like what eventually happened isn't what Obi-Wan instructed, but instead what Luke did himself right he saved his father in the very end um and i just wonder like i i think that i i don't know i just feel like you really summed it up pretty well there yeah yeah i really can't as we've been talking i i really can't get out of my head obi-wan contacting vader again because like it's gonna happen it's gonna happen happen. (laughs) i mean we i think it's pretty confirmed it's gonna happen but like i want it to be super spiritual and trippy like Uh (laughs) As, as as per usual yeah <laughs> um it's like i i don't know i guess obi-wan's gonna have his ahsoka moment where ahsoka says i will avenge his death and like that's not the jedi way i'm no jedi like think of how like crazy that moment was obi-wan's gonna have something like that i think you know and i feel like that 
whatever that is, you know, if it's happening in real life, like it's not a vision or maybe it is a vision, you know, um, it's just, it's really going to solidify Obi-Wan's belief about Vader's soul, I think, whatever it is. And I wonder if that is ultimately what happened for Ahsoka too in that moment, um, in Rebels, maybe it is. I don't know if she ever comes in contact with Vader again. Maybe she does. Who who knows? But who knows with her, literally, who knows with her? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we know that that is uh, like a life changing moment for Ahsoka, and I think that I think that Obi Wan has to have that too, um, to because I I would still think that Obi Wan would want hope for Anakin uh, shortly after Revenge of the Sith, but I think that has to be completely squashed in a way, which is sad, but true too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, before we wrap up, I wanted to ask a question that we asked on our first episode of our Knowing Kenobi series, The King of Swords. We both talked about our defining moments for Obi-Wan's character. And I said that the Revenge of the Sith high ground farewell speech was my defining moment for Obi-Wan. And you said um, Obi-Wan kind of wistfully talking about the Clone Wars and Anakin and bestowing upon the weapon of Anakin Skywalker to Luke Skywalker was your pivotal moment. And I was wondering if, and it's totally fine if you agree, that's fine, um, if you would change any of those after we've gone through the series. I don't think so. I don't think so either. It's interesting because like, I, I, I definitely feel like I've talked the most about Revenge of the Sith and I feel like you've talked the most about Obi-Wan's relationship to Luke Skywalker. And I think that that's like our personal connection to the character and like our personal interest. I I think it's funny. And that's what we talked about in our defining moments as well, because obviously a question like what are your personal defining moments of Obi-Wan is a very personal question anyway. So like that's what we put down. But even through this, I feel very, I feel confident in my own choice and it sounds like you do too, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I do. (laughs) You know, even talking about this and everything that we've talked about with regards to the chosen one, as that is a clear, I don't know, a clear point of interest in Obi-Wan's life that you can trace as what forms you could argue as an arc for his enlightenment, his like own understanding of his place in the world. I would say that perhaps one to add to the most defining moments of Obi-Wan's life is that death of Maul in his arms in the Twin Sons episode of Rebels, where Maul asks, tell me, is he the chosen one? And Obi-Wan simply answers, he is. And Maul says in his dying breath, he, he will avenge us. You get a real sense of solid affirmation in that conversation that is happening while Maul dies in his arms about whether or not Luke is the chosen one and who he's protecting. And that sense of duty and purpose is so clear and perhaps never, it's just hasn't even been more clear in this until this moment, at least what we've seen so far. So I think I would add that to the mix um, as a third option for the defining moments after our conversation in the series. Yeah, I think that's a good one to add and not because of the mall relationship, but because of what it reveals about like you said, Obi-Wan's belief at this point exactly. in his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, is, is that the end? I can't believe it. I mean, we've talked about, we've spent this time talking about Obi-Wan as the King of Swords, 
how the history of Obi-Wan. We've talked about Obi-Wan as the hermit, the enlightened hermit, Obi-Wan as the guide, Obi-Wan as introspective, spiritual. We've talked about him as, you know, all his trials and tragedies. I feel like we really covered him. And I cannot wait to talk about him even more next year with the television show. <laughs> yeah, it makes me really excited. And I think what's so exciting about it is that we've like gone so in depth about him, but in the process of going so in depth, there have also been so many questions that have come up yes. too. And I think that's what's really exciting about Obi-Wan as a character and fully kind of seeing him take this center main character role in the Kenobi show is going to be really great and really fun. Before we go, I just wanted to leave us with a Carlos Castaneda quote, if that's okay. Because I think something that we didn't talk about in this series is one of my favorite Obi-Wan lines that I feel like doesn't get talked about enough, but it is a really good Star Warsism, And it is Ben Kenobi saying, who's more the fool, the fool <laughs> or the fool who follows him? And I think in our conversation of Obi-Wan being spiritual, Obi-Wan being a guide, and Obi-Wan who has all these amazing isms and is a mentor, a master, a brother figure, and maybe not a father figure to Anakin. I just wanted to read this line that I think, it, which is written by Carlos Castaneda in one of his books that I feel like is very Star Wars and kind of gets into the heart of what we sort of ascribe to as this belief that it's not always, you can always change your path um, in the path is purely up to you. And I think Obi-Wan is a character who embodies that in a way. Like I think that while we do, while we have talked about him and as someone who's defined by other characters, I still think he's a character who is purely on his own path. And I'm going to read this quote. Here it is. Anything is one of a million paths. Therefore, you must always keep in mind that a path is only a path. If you feel you should not follow it, you must not stay with it under any conditions. That's it. Yeah, I think that's kind of the perfect summary for Obi-Wan here at the end. Mm -hmm. If he if he didn't have any sort of belief that Luke wasn't the chosen one, then he wouldn't still be there. If he didn't have any belief that there wasn't a purpose for him past the Jedi. I mean, I'm sure he goes through those very human uh, trials and errors of what is our own purpose. Um, but I think he has a sense of conviction that he, why he's there. And if he didn't, he would change his path. And... I think that very yeah. early on Ben Kenobi line that we hear him say in the Falcon when they're beneath the floorboards is pretty indicative, indicative <laughs> of his character that we see later. Yeah. No, I'm really glad you you snuck that in right at the end here. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to bookend the series with Carlos Castaneda because that was like the most interesting thing for me to find. I'm still obsessed with it. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, I think, well, that was, you know, the very first kind of kickstarted the series so it makes sense yeah it's it's good synergy to you know okay. really bring it full circle so it's good <laughs> yes. that you brought it up mm -hmm. all right well i think that is going to wrap up our summer series knowing kenobi feels so strange to be ending it but all good things must come to an end i suppose um i hope you guys have enjoyed this series we've had a lot of fun preparing for it and recording it and have loved seeing your comments and thoughts on uh obi-wan kenobi and what he means to you um so thank you so much to everyone who has shared the podcast talked about it tweeted at us instagram in our discord people talking about it um it's really fun for us so thank you all so much for being a part of our little 
summer series, our annual summer series. And um, if you are interested in more content from us, we did just wrap up a season one finale for The Bad Batch, which was posted last week. And then you also have our entire back catalog. as well as all of our past summer series too. So I hope this made you guys think a little bit more about Obi-Wan and what your ideas are for what we're going to see from him in the Kenobi show. So please let us know. You can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caleb Flusher and Charlotte's is at Clarity. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, where you can find some of the sources that we used for this series, um, as well as Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And Charlotte is actually going to do a TikTok showing all of the artwork, the original artwork from Kara that we got for this series. So if you're interested in seeing the, the real life pieces, you can head on over to our TikTok to check those out. And if you haven't left us review yet on iTunes, we would be over the moon if you would consider taking a couple seconds to go and leave us a five-star rating or a written review. It helps other people find our show and also makes us honestly just really, really happy. (laughs) And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon to check out our reward tiers there. Our patrons get access to a lot of exclusive content, including our full show notes for our entire Kenobi series, as well as other show notes too and bonus episodes as well as access to our incredible discord community and i want to say a huge thank you to these patrons blast points another skywalker nora sarah john stephanie tom martin talking bay 94 talia daniela Alyssa, heidi timothy kitty emily adam emma john and dylan thank you so much for supporting us yes thank you guys so much and as always until next time may the force be with you May the force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the force be with you.